Hey everybody, Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. December 26, 2022, third day of Tevet, 5783. Hanukkah was over just a few hours ago here in Israel. It was a very, very interesting eight days in many, many ways. I am so tired. I almost didn't do this podcast because I just like wanted to go to sleep. And then I said, it's not even eight o'clock at night. Like, girl, get yourself together. So um, so I'm with you just sharing some thoughts. I was actually supposed to interview somebody, but I never got their book. Their, um, their publicity person, I guess, went away for a combination of Christmas and Hanukkah and most of the month and never got it to me. So hopefully that'll come in a couple of weeks because as you guys know, I really do like uh, interviewing people, especially authors. But it turns out to have been an interesting week. Um, anyhow, on the sad front, Rav Chaim Druckmann, who was really one of the pillars of um, national religious Judaism here uh, in Israel, really one of the you know founders or one of the backers of Hezder Yeshivot of the idea of boys going and being part of the yeshiva world, Torah world, but also serving in the army. Um, super, super, super important. Uh, a couple of my boys were part of that track and it was, um, it was really important for them. And he was, he was a major, major person who was involved with, with having that track as a possibility. And just so many things when it came to conversions and it came to resettling the areas in Judea and Samaria, just really a towering personality and also from the people that knew him. I only met him once, but from the people that worked with him and knew him also a very modest person and got things done and wasn't fussy and wasn't, you know, demanding a whole lot of attention. And it was really very well thought of, very well respected by so many people. Um, and, uh, so that was, you know, kind of a loss for, for the Torah world, but also for, um, the world specifically of those of us who believe that the state of Israel is part of the redemption process. Um, uh, it's going to be a long one based on what's going on, but um, that we really, you know, that it's just a joy to be able to live here, uh, a privilege to be able to serve into the, in the army and do things for the country. And that kind of combining um, the love of Zionism with the love of our traditions and of Torah. Um, so uh, I don't know if that sector is getting smaller or we definitely, I don't think ours are represented in the public sphere as I would like us to, at least in the way that I would like it to be. Um, saying that I'm going to flow into some of the chatter about the new government. And it's like hilarious. They haven't even been sworn in yet. They're not even going to be sworn in until later in the week and everybody's already hysterical. We'll see what happens. Um, I think, and I'm hoping that once people get in, they will realize that they need to govern and some of um, the conversations that they're having, I'm talking about for the people going into the opposition who are not doing it gracefully, but really the right can't complain because they did it very not gracefully in the last year. Um, so those going to the opposition and those going into the government, you know, all have responsibilities and I hope that they get over themselves and their peak either because they lost or because they won and it got a little to their heads. We'll see what happens. Um, it definitely should be interesting. And uh, we'll keep reporting on that and uh, in an honest fashion. I, it's not, I'm not somebody who's known for keeping her opinions to herself. So you'll definitely hear what I think about that. So I'm hopeful. Um, and uh, there are some things I think that definitely do need to be fixed and other things that, well, I don't know, maybe I'm a little more liberal on my ideas than some of the other people. But like I said, 
we will see. We'll see how that goes. And but I do wish them, you know, um, luck is probably the wrong word. I wish them wisdom. I was uh, near give on uh, the tell of give on the other day. And that's where Solomon, you know, he asked, he actually doesn't ask for wisdom. He asks for a listening heart. So maybe that's what our leaders need is to be able to understand their constituents, understand the area around them. Maybe what the Torah is actually trying to say there, now that I think about it, is emotional intelligence. You know, that's, that's come out, I think, very rightly so in the last few years. Intelligence is not just your IQ. There's all kinds of different intelligence, emotional intelligence and social intelligence and all that. And um, maybe that's actually what the Torah was trying to say, is that a leader can't just be wise or smart, but he also has to be smart about people. Because ultimately, that's what you're doing is dealing with people. And all through history, we have seen people who were not smart about dealing with people from his son, Rehavam, which leads, of course, to the splitting of the kingdom, to Pontius Pilate, who was incredibly cruel, and history went in a very not great way because of that. So, you know, you learn about history, you learn about people, you see it in the modern world as well. Um, and you need that kind of understanding of who you're dealing with. And, and sometimes it's not about being right. Sometimes it's about being smart. So anyhow, we'll see what happens and definitely hoping and praying for the best. Um, interesting things happening this week, though, the letters of rabbis who are, you know, already like really upset with Israel. I find it really fascinating and very sad when Israel gets threatened by people who don't live here, who have no intention of living here and are upset with Israel. All right. So they're upset that maybe Israel's going to tighten up the conversion laws so that not anybody who just has like one great grandparent who was Jewish can move here. Um, being a Jewish country means something and there has to be some kind of um, understanding of what that is. And we can't just be a refuge for everybody. And then there's people who are getting like all upset and you're deciding who's a Jew. You're not planning on moving here anyway. So, you know, if you are, then we can have that discussion. Or the rabbi is also like super critical of Israel. I'm sorry if we embarrass you. I'm sorry if we're the crazy uncle. I'm sorry for the people who are living in the Middle East actually having to defend ourselves and our children to stay alive. Um, and I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable, but this is how it is. Nothing aside from being a mother has changed me as much as actually picking up and moving to the Middle East with all my Western ideas and values and understanding what that means. And it's certainly not simple. And sometimes decisions are tough to make and uncomfortable to make. But, um, you know, getting killed is probably the least moral thing that's around there. So, uh, you know, you could take your letters and you can um, hmm. save the paper that they're written on. Shall we leave it at that? Uh, and of course, there was the uh, un discovery of what the EU is doing. I don't understand why everybody got like, it was like, like big news. The EU is putting money in Area C, you know, some news station uncovered uh, the secret document. Uh, if anybody who's just been listening to this show knows what's been going on, just talk to, you know, know me, Linda Khan from Rigavim a couple of weeks ago. This isn't a big secret. You just have to drive around and you see what's going on. The fact that the EU is behind it, and that was discovered already a couple of years ago by the journalist Svia Cheskeli, who uh, went undercover and filmed them and talked about it. Uh, I, is anything going to change is my question. Okay, so we know that the EU is trying to destroy Israel from the inside by funding the Arabs, um, probably coming to the conclusion that because we're militarily strong, 
we're not going to get wiped off the map militarily. Uh, I'm not so confident about that. I mean, we are militarily strong. There's some really nasty dudes out there that can definitely, you know, extract a large price from here. But so they've decided to do it, um, you know, in a sneaky, nefarious way. It's like unclear why that is also what they, they think a Palestinian state here would be such a marvelous addition to the world. I mean, where, like, where is all this coming from? And really the only conclusion can be is that it's a, it's a form of antisemitism because uh, we're not talking about creating a Switzerland at all. You just have to look around and see what's going on in the Arab world. Even the ones that are behaving nicely and that have treaties with us, not necessarily a country you would want to live in, at least for a significant length of time. These are not democracies. They're not open societies. And they can also fall in a second. So with everybody complaining about Israel and our elections, we're a democracy. And we didn't have a coup. And nor are we going to, I hope, um, even though you never know. But, but really, like, let's, you know, let's get real. And just, I'm, I'm so tired. Maybe I'm just too old. Like, so tired of the talking around things and of the lies. Like, let's just put it out there. You don't like it, you don't like it. But this is the reality. Um, you know, the, the Arab world needs to do a major rehaul. And, uh, it, you know, it's not really great to live under their leadership, period. Okay, so and with all of the craziness and the, the, you know, the spin and the hysteria coming out of Israel, it's still an open, pretty awesome country uh, to live in and incredibly vibrant. And, uh, you know, for those of you who haven't been here yet, you need to, to come. And for those of you who have, you need to come back. And, and just see that for yourselves. And there's nothing like it. It's one of the joys of being a tour guide. It's being able to take people around. And they make a huge effort, not just to go to the typical touristy sites, but to go to places and to go to people that you just ordinarily wouldn't meet and, uh, and that you can't make up. And, uh, and that's really, you know, the strength and the fabric of this country. And that's something that I'm blessed to be able to do and, and uh, will continue to do. Um, having said that, we also had the letter that came out this week. I'm sure most of you didn't see it because it wouldn't really go public in a big way, but um, about archaeologists, different archaeologists, different professors who are a little upset about the stream of new discoveries that have come out that they feel have been announced without proper peer review. I understand where they're coming from. Um, you know, before something comes out, you should. But on the other hand, some of these archaeological discoveries, even when we hear about them now, we're, we're discovered last week. It's not like breaking news. Some of these things are only discovered last year and a couple of years ago, and only now are we hearing about them. Unfortunately, when it comes to peer review, it takes a long time. And, uh, and there's some really exciting things out there. So what I'm saying is I see both sides. Um, but then again, we're not talking about like the COVID vaccine with all the hullabaloo that that entailed. Okay. Like, you know, we're, they, maybe they're pushing something that wasn't necessarily tested properly. I'm not going there. I'm not saying I got the vaccines. Should I have or not? Different question. Am I thinking about it again? Like, you know, but then again, I'm not putting myself back in the hysteria of two years ago where we had nothing else and it looked like people were dying right and left. So leaving that all aside, cause that gets nowhere but controversial. Um, you know, there we're not talking about like life or death when it comes to saying that something was found and someone's interpreting it this way and it could be super exciting. So I understand the archaeologists and wanting to keep it, 
you know, but but usually you're not going to have a situation, even when it's peer reviewed, that everybody agreed anyway uh, on the translation or whatever it is. So, so uh, like, again, I see both sides with that and I see for their own academic standing why they needed to, you know, to put, to put some distance between themselves and some of the announcement that were made. But I also think we need to keep it in proportion. And it's a lot of things that, and I just, you know, have doing been doing these interviews that are super exciting and that um, connect us to what's going on here. As a matter of fact, I got to see um, last week, I took a, a full bus for One Israel Fund. We did a Hanukkah trip that I had planned and guided. We started off in Umel Umdan, which is the oldest synagogue in Israel and possibly ancient Modi'in. It's definitely a, it's a synagogue from the time of the Hashmonaim in the area of Modi'in. To now, now it's like on the outskirts of the modern city of Modi'in. And it's really special to go there on Hanukkah and think about the people who were there, maybe during the revolt against the Seleucids, to talk about what a synagogue synagogue is in general, um, and, you know, because that means it coexisted with the temple. So what's going on? What is prayer like? Is there prayer? Why isn't it called then a house of prayer? Why is it called a house of gathering? Tons of research has gone on. I've talked about this before. We'll continue to do so again. Had that great interview with Dr. Jody Magnus last year, and she goes into that extensively, but it was just like super cool. There's a mikvah next to it, and it's from that time period, and it's just, you know, you go there, and it's a, it's a village. It's part of a village of the second temple period with all the agricultural um, installations that you would expect to find in a village in the second temple period, the olive press and the grape press and all that, and the, the cisterns and the place for storing grain. Just really, I love doing that. Like, you know, going back and thinking what it was like um, to live in these times, I'm not saying it was better. In many ways, it was much more difficult. On the other hand, they were much more tied to the creator in that way, I think. Not not a whole lot of atheists in the ancient world because they were humble and they realized how little was really in in our control um, when it came to the vagaries of nature and weather and all of that stuff that you need to go very right in order to just put food on the table. Uh, so that was cool. So we went there and then we went over to the museum of um, Moreshet, Moreshet, like the, not the traditions, the... Um, I don't know how to translate Moresha properly, but I'm sure someone will write and tell me, which would be great, of the Hashmonaim. So it's a new museum just opened in the city of Modi'in. If you're in Israel, I highly suggest that you go there. Uh, they just celebrated their one-year anniversary. Beautiful museum in the center of the city. Um, explaining about that time period, they've got a great timeline and a really terrific film with like the seats that move, you know, like it's, it's really, it's made for kids to get you back into that time. Done super well. And they have on display, or at least they did for this last week, these 15 coins that were found in the Judean desert from around the year minus 170, um, coins that might be from Jews at the very, very beginning of the revolt against the Seleucids who went into the desert. Because it says in uh, one of the books of Maccabees, it talks about the Jews running into the desert to hide at the beginning of the revolt. So that was super cool. And that was on display along with the wooden box that it was found in. And that was pretty amazing. And then we had a great lunch <laughs> and um, and then drove through the area where the Hasmoneans hid out because it was a 25-year war 
And the reason that Modi'in is such an amazing city now and access to all these places makes it a terrible place from which to wage a guerrilla war. So they actually went into the mountains that we now know as Haregofna, the hills of Beit El, Western Benjamin, a whole bunch of different names. And, um, contains a lot of water. The area, 40% of Israel's mountain aquifer comes from that water. And a lot of water, a lot of lushness, a lot of trees um, and grapes. And that's where they lived. And that's where they were able to eat. There's a lot of burial caves around there from the same time period as well. Uh, later on, roads from the Romans. Um, there's one of the, in one of the Arab villages there, there's a building that apparently is still from the Crusader time period. So a lot of people knew about this area. It's one of the most beautiful areas in Israel that not enough people know about. There's a few Jewish communities there that are just beautiful, amazing people who live there and very close to, you know, to Tel Aviv and to the airport. And, um, and a lot, most of the people on my bus had never been there before. And it's really not far. And I guess they're afraid to go, but we have to put that aside. Uh, so we went through there and then ended the day at one of the warm corners for the soldiers, one of the places where we give them, you know, love and cake, <laughs> which go hand in hand. So we left some snacks for the soldiers. And also it's a little community named Givad Asaf, where the Jews have been living for 20 years in mobile homes, right across the street from mansions from one of the Arab villages nearby, in case you were thinking that this was an economic battle and it was rich Jews and poor Arabs. You just have to stand at that street corner and look from one side and look to the other to realize that maybe that's not exactly what's going on here. Anyway, they've been living there. It's a really strategic corner, but they can't get permission to build. We'll see if this new government gives them that. I'm not holding my breath. Anyway, so um, one of my sons works for a toy uh, games importer, and uh, we got toys from him for a really nice discount and gave it to the kids living there. Do I know these kids? No. Do I know these soldiers? No. But that's how we repair what the sages said is the cause of the destruction of the simple t second temple, which is baseless hatred. And that's just by loving other people. Uh, even if we don't know them, maybe especially if we don't know them, because then there it's not, there's no expectations there. And so giving toys to these kids, they were so happy. This busload of people that they don't know show up and gives them gifts for Hanukkah. And just, it's not easy to live there. It's cold. They live in ridiculous ridiculous situation. Sometimes four and five kids in a 40 meter caravan with their parents and it's leaky and it's cold and it's just absurd. Um, but they're doing it not for themselves, but for us. And so as are the soldiers. And so people who are doing things for their people, um, I think deserve some kind of thanks or maybe a game of Dixit or a little bag of cookies. So, um, it was really a beautiful day. And um, I think that everybody enjoyed it and it was meaningful and it was connecting to the land. It's, uh, it's an interesting holiday, Hanukkah. It's, it's much more than just eating fattening food and lighting candles. It's the fight against um, assimilation. It's a fight for sovereignty. It's a fight for who is a Jew and nationalism. It's a fight for borders. It's a whole lot of things. It's a way of having an army and how does an army fight? It's under the Hasmoneans that they fight on Shabbat. They used to just not and get slaughtered. So that changes. And there's a lot. It's the only time, the, the less than a century that the Hasmoneans ruled is the only time in the Second Temple period that we have sovereignty in the land of Israel. And the only time between the First Temple period and 1948 that we do. So it's huge. 
and um, and to go there to understand the mistakes they made, to understand the great things that they did as well, because they were people and they were leaders and they were flawed leaders, um, as we seem to talk about a lot. Um, they were human beings, but to go and to see where they lived and where the battles were and where they ambushed the Seleucids, and then oh, it makes sense because this is a narrow gorge um, that they would able to be able to do that. The few against the many better be really smart and have some kind of strategy um, that makes some sense or it's not going to happen. Kind of like, I guess, kind of like Israel today. <clears throat> so um, had also a personal uh, Hanukkah miracle. <clears throat> um, my daughter-in-law gave birth to a beautiful little girl last week. It's my son's first, uh, first child. They were married last year and it was, I was there and it was amazing. Little hairy at the end, um, a situation that you don't really want to get into, but thank God the doctors at Shari Tzedek were just amazing. So with a combination of prayers and tremendous medical care, I have a new granddaughter and she's healthy and she's fine as is her mother. Um, but it wasn't, uh, it's never should be taken for granted having a baby. And this was one of those situations of 10 minutes of like sheer panic and prayer, um, that turned out well, doesn't always, but in this case, thank God it did. So really Hodul Hashem. And it was very much our own personal Hanukkah miracle. And the reason for not to preach for not having a home birth, because everything is just fine until it's not fine. And had this baby been born at home or in the elevator or anywhere else, but um, being in the hospital right at the right second, I would not be sharing good news with you right now. So um, that is just something, something to keep in mind when it's all going to go great, then, you know, you can give birth in a rice patty, but it's for the things that you don't know. And um, it's one of the reasons that many babies and their mothers died in childbirth not that long ago because of that lack of modern medicine and preparedness and being able to really rise to an emergency like in split seconds and have the ability and the facilities to be able to do so. So thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. And uh, looking forward to, if I keep myself together, to dancing at her wedding. Please, God. So uh, got a lot to do until that point. Um, so I'm going to sign off now with just... Um, one little addition. I really am serious about getting out um, on the road and doing some speaking while the best is to take people around Israel. I know that not everybody comes. So I really do want to do that. There's somebody who's been in touch with me about maybe like, you know, being able to organize that. But if you guys have any ideas, want to invite me, um, have any thoughts about bringing Israel into your community, then be in touch. Um, there is so much misinformation out there and so much that I can share of um, not just Israel advocacy, but the other things that are going on here that I talk about all the time. This is a very vibrant and exciting country with a lot of challenges and, um, and, and a lot of, and mainly misunderstanding. And then those challenges are thrown out there, like Israel's doing something wrong without any context. And that's really what I want to do is I want to be able to answer questions, to talk about what's going on here in context and, you know, in, in, in reality and not, not making Israel 
still look perfect. I can't stand when people do that either because it's not, but also not making Israel like the worst country that ever existed on the planet um, because it's far from that. So there's got to be like an injection of realism here and I'm happy to provide it. So um, be in touch if that's something that you think now that we're in a mostly, 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 hopefully post COVID world where people can come and visit and travel. There's still, I know Zoom is great, but there's still nothing like somebody being in the room with you, talking, body language, ability to answer questions. To It's just a whole different thing. And I've been doing so much virtual stuff over the last couple of years, as many of you know. Um, and that's great. And and it gets to a, a lot of people and that's wonderful. But there's there's still something about uh, about being in the same room as somebody. And if you want to know, I... Yeah, I smell fine and I wear Obsession perfume, Calvin Klein, old perfume, like most, it's hard to even find it anymore. I don't know. It just, it works for me. So if you were wondering about that aspect, never fear. Anyway, thank you to Tabitha and to Ben for putting out this show every week and to all of you listeners and for the people who write to me and are in touch. And uh, I really do appreciate it and any ideas that you have. And, um, and I will hopefully be back next week which will already be 2023, which is pretty crazy, right? Wow, like, boom, we're flying into the 20s here. Um, But it should all be good. And right now it is raining in Israel, which is really good because we had beautiful weather, which is nice, but we've been praying for rain. So it's nice when those prayers are answered. Incredible floods by the Dead Sea today. Hopefully nobody was in the canyons and everybody understood that when it's raining in the Jerusalem and the Hebron Hills, it is fl- and the sky is blue over the Dead Sea and in the Jordan Valley, you got to watch out for those floods that come down off the mountains. And they were beautiful and they flowed into the Dead Sea and they filled up the ancient Mikvot and Qumran and all the valleys and the gorges and the riverbeds. And it's just uh, a beautiful thing to see how, um, what a great country this is and how people were out and about and celebrating the holidays. And, um, and wherever you were, I hope that you were with family, with friends, with people that you love, that it wasn't too stressful as many, many holidays can be. Um, I personally really try to not be with people that I don't like anymore. It took a while to figure that out, that obligations, to certain people were not worth my mental and emotional health. Took too long to figure it out. Um, but, uh, but that's the way it is. And, uh, it's much healthier. So if you're in that position, um, I hope that at some point you have the strength to be able to make those decisions too, because, um, life's too short to hang out with people that you don't like. I mean, really guys, unless you have to, like it's your boss, but maybe you could always switch jobs, I suppose. Anyway, there's always answers. Take care, everyone. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Goodbye for now. Let's try to use our time wisely to promote the truth about what is going on here, the reality here in the Jewish state of Israel. Join Josh Haston every Monday for Israel Uncensored. If we didn't have Iron Dome... More Jews in Israel would be hurt or injured or, God forbid, killed. Israel would have to respond more forcefully to attacks, and that would result in more lives being lost. Gaza, the Temple Mount, anti-Semitism, COVID, the Knesset, and more. Another example of Israel contributing to the world. It's not hard to find these stories each and every week in Israeli company. 
coming out with the latest technologies to improve quality of life for people all over the world in so many different fields. That's Israel Uncensored with Josh Haston on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.